This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 51. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. This is part two of our episode on the only four ways to invest here in Canada, where we discuss the pros and cons of each method so that you can make an informed decision on the investing type that is best for you. Now, ultimately, this decision on which of the four ways you pick has an enormous impact on your net worth and how early you can retire, as it can easily save and earn you an extra tens of thousands of dollars long term, and even hundreds of thousands of dollars for many investors through reduced fees, proper financial advice, and tax optimization that's entailed in some of these choices. So now in case you missed part one, you can listen to it by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash 50. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash 50, just the number 5050. Now, after the last episode launched, we had a lot of listeners sign up for the free 30-minute consultation with our expert financial planning guest, John Callos. Now, one of the links that I had on this site to book the free appointment with John wasn't working, but that has now been fixed. So if you had any trouble signing up for the free call with John, then definitely try again by going to build wealthcanada.ca slash john that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash john and if you haven't booked a call yet then definitely feel free to do so as there's no obligation it's free and it's a great way to get some of your financial planning and investing questions answered by someone that has spent decades in this industry and also isn't trying to sell you some high fee mutual funds or high fee investment products just because they get some sort of bonus or commission out of it so you know john he doesn't sell any investments so he's a great way to get custom advice specific to your situation from someone that doesn't have that conflict of interest from also trying to sell you something all right, so that link again to book that free 30-minute call with John is buildwealthcanada.ca slash John, J-O-H-N. And when you sign up, you also get my PDF guide on how to find the right financial advisor in Canada and the top questions to ask them. Of course, don't miss future episodes, giveaways, and free in-depth guides by also signing up for free to the Build Wealth Canada newsletter over at buildwealthcanada.ca. And lastly, don't forget to claim your free one-year digital subscription to Canadian Money Saver magazine, Canada's largest personal finance and investing magazine. The magazine features Canada's top experts on personal finance and investing and is a great place to learn best practices and stay up to date on changes that will impact your investments and financial situation for years to come, specifically here in Canada. So to get all that, all you have to do is open up a free savings account with my favorite bank and the bank that I personally use, EQ Bank. And now the reason that I personally use EQ Bank is that they have one of the highest interest savings rates in Canada. In fact, out of all the years that I've been with them, I've seen them consistently be almost double the interest rate compared to other online banks and well over double the interest rate compared to the major brick and mortar banks that we have here in Canada. Plus, it's free to sign up and keep an account with them so you're not paying a monthly fee like you do with many of the other banks out there. And you get five free Interact transfers every month as a bonus too. So because of those reasons, I've been with them ever since they launched in Canada years ago, and it's where I keep my entire emergency fund and spending money as well. So to get the free account and a one-year free subscription to Canadian Money Saver Magazine as a bonus, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ, that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter E and the letter Q, open the free account, and once you're done, forward any email that you get from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca. 
Ca, and I'll send you a coupon code that gets you a free one-year subscription to the magazine. So that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ to open an account. Then forward me any email from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll email you the free coupon code to the magazine. All right, so enjoy. Thanks for supporting the show in that way. And now let's get into the episode. Let's talk about the Vanguard ETFs a little bit. Uh, sure. Just, just because I've had a bunch of um, listeners send in questions about them and asking yeah. them if they are a good idea, what I think of them, etc. And I'm going to do a dedicated episode specifically for those because there are some great pros, but there's also some cons. So, so I, for example, really like them, but I actually wouldn't invest in them myself. And so I think that warrants an explanation. (laughs) Like, why would you like them and say, Hey, I think they're a good fit for some people, but Uh, you wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't reserve. Right. So that kind of makes you wonder. Right. Uh, So I I think that that warrants an explanation. Um, Now with, uh, so just first of all, if anybody wants to look up what we're talking about, specifically, which ETFs we're talking about, if you go to Vanguard, Canada.ca, and then if you go on the top in the navigation bar, uh, it says investments, and you click on that on the drop down and you select asset allocation ETFs. It's the second one from the bottom on the left. So if you check that out, it's going to show you three different ETFs, and these are the ones that John was talking about. Where what they are is they are a collection, uh, it's basically a way that you can have a portfolio. Pretty much of the where you have stocks from uh, and bonds, you know, from all over the world essentially, uh, and so it's a way that you can have an investment portfolio by just buying one ETF. So I mean, I personally I buy four ETFs, uh, the same ETFs, um, but in this one you can only just have one, which makes things a lot easier. Um, now there are you know pros and cons to doing that, um, but it is you know, but I think this is a solution. I think this is something that somebody, especially somebody just getting started, you know, if, if you're just getting into investing, this might actually be I would consider this as a starting point because you don't have to worry about rebalancing because they rebalance for you and so you can get comfortable buying ETFs and the process and the mechanics of it all um, without having to worry about rebalancing and then after a while once you feel okay I've got a good handle on this it's not as scary as I thought everything's you know fine you know then you could ultimately sell them and buy individual ETFs like what I'm doing and like I said I'm not saying everyone should do this you know based on your situation right like just because I do it doesn't mean you should do it either but um, you know but I, I do think these ETFs are a good entry point into um, it, you know into investing, and so yep. so the pro is yeah you don't have to learn how to rebalance yet, um, which is which is nice. You're just buying one ETF, which is also nice. Uh, also, what what can happen sometimes I think from an investor psychology perspective is that let's say you know you have four ETFs, one for Canada, one for US, one for international developed, one for international emerging, right? Like that, at least that's how my portfolio is structured. Well, let's right. say Canada's having not a great year, like right now, for example, right? It's not, right, right. you know, hasn't been doing that great. And so you might look at that and say, oh, well, Canada's not doing so well, but US is on fire. It's been doing great, right? And so the, the negative, if you have the, if you're buying the four is you might be tempted to say, well, you know what? Let's take some out of Canada and put in the US and, you know, and kind of, you might start thinking that way. And now, I mean, at that point, you're you're now kind of speculating, right? Uh, whereas what you should be doing is thinking, okay, I should rebalance, take some money off the table for US, uh, and then you know put some into Canada to reach the desired asset allocation that I that I want, right? Um, so that's kind of one thing to to keep in mind. The 
the reason I yeah, so those are the positive um, mm-hmm. positives of why I think these funds are really good. Uh, and, and John, I'd love to hear your opinion on it uh, after as well. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I just want to address it now because I've I've been getting these emails quite a bit. Um, right. Now the the con of it is that well, one, the fees for them are a little bit higher than if you purchase the ETFs individually, like what I do. Um, now it's they're not much higher, right? But it is it is a bit higher, and I mean fees are obviously important. So you know, just keep that in mind. I mean, it's not a crazy deal breaker, but um, you know, but it's something to consider. The sure. the but the main reason. Reason that I that I don't do the, that those particular Vanguard funds uh, like like I own a Vanguard but I own individual ones right I, I don't own uh, like the the one ETF where it's my whole portfolio the yeah. the big reason is is tax efficiency or, or inefficiency rather um, so for example there are you should for tax to be optimal from a tax perspective, you want to have certain types of investments in different types of accounts. So for example, and I'm not going to go into too much detail here because we'll have a whole episode kind of dedicated yeah. to it. But but I mean, like, like as a general rule, for example, bonds typically, want to, you want to put those in an RRSP. Um, US equities, if you purchase the right type, you want them in an RRSP usually as well because there's a tax treaty with the dividends where you don't have to pay the withholding tax. Once again, not going to go into detail, but there's tax advantages of doing it that way, right? right, um, right. And if you've to your RSP and TFSA, and now you want to put money into your non-registered accounts, your taxable accounts. Well, Canadian equities generally make sense because they have preferential tax treatment on the dividends, right? So, so right. there are so and so like I said, I'm not going to go into too much detail about uh, taxes here, um, but you know the, the the bottom line is that there are tax efficiency that you get when you can when you pick and choose to say okay, like my, me myself, I almost all of my US. Um, ETFs are in my RRSP because of the preferential tax treatment. A majority right. of my non-registered is in my of my sorry Canadian equities are in non-registered. Right? So basically, you can break them up to make them very very tax efficient, right? right. And so if you purchase a, uh, an ETF like one of these Vanguard ones, you aren't able to do that, right? Because you're purchasing just one ETF. So for example, you might you might buy one of them and put that in your TFSA, right? And now because you bought that one, well, that means you automatically are holding. A portion of your bonds in your TFSA, which is which is you know not optimal typically, right? Right, um, right? right. So that's kind of so that to me that's why I so I really like them. I think they're a great product for someone, uh, or or I personally, you know, like if, if my my daughter was getting started investing, I would probably say, hey, you know what? Why don't you you try consider doing one of these, right? Just to get your feet wet. I think it's good. And then once you get a bit more proficient in all of this, you get comfortable with it. Then let's get a little bit more tactical. Let's get a little bit more optimal and save you some money on taxes right um right. you know kind of a you know crawl uh, crawl before you walk type of a, of a scenario um right. all right so that, that that's my spiel <laughs> i just i just want to address it because i've gotten so many questions about it and I, I i get too many questions from the show that i don't like i literally don't have time to answer every single one and so i thought okay let me just get this out so thank you for your patience john do you have right. any thoughts anything to add anything at all well i was i was about to say allow me to retort <laughs> and, and so so i i um, I agree with what you're saying. On the other hand, I'll say I'll, I'll make a couple of comments. As you mentioned before, the majority of people have a hard time maxing out their RSPs and TFSAs, right? So, from a tax from a tax point of view, if if we don't have you know several a couple of hundred thousand dollars and we're and we're dealing with forty or fifty thousand, there's not a huge difference when it comes from a, when it comes to taxes. And I'll say this also, historically. 
we've said that it, it's it's a good idea to keep all your income producing investments like bonds and GICs in your RSPs, right? And have all your equities uh, and dividend paying stocks, equities outside your RSP because of the preferential tax treatment. Well, today, these days, dividends are higher than interest. So you could be earning income outside your RSP with dividend paying stocks paying you like a 4% return, right? So, and, and if your GICs are only paying you 1%, all of a sudden that argument doesn't hold as much weight anymore, right? Right. So, so, um, Honestly, I think, as you mentioned, I think it's it's best for the beginner, do-it-yourself um, uh, investor. But I still wouldn't close the door for somebody who just says, look, I don't have time. I don't want to be bothered with this too much. I know that if I do this, I'm going to get a very well-balanced portfolio. And all I need to do is look at it you know, just to see where the value is. And I don't have to make any changes. You, you know, there are people, obviously, that – Anything to anything to do with investing is intimidating, and so when you're holding a, a you know when you're holding four or five different ETFs and you need to start rebalancing and calculating and oh my goodness I don't have time this month you know what I'm saying like sometimes right. you get caught up sometimes the markets move so quickly and you haven't had time to assess and rebalance that this is an all-in-one solution that's going to save you lots of headaches if this isn't your game. I mean, you enjoy it. I enjoy it. Um, I can do this all day long. Uh, but there are, you know, the majority of people are not into this as much as we are, right? So I'm just saying this is, a, this is a good solution for someone who, who wants to do it yourself um, and um, – and is looking for a one solution. This doesn't have any negatives from that point of view. And the management fee, at you know, I'm looking at one where it's 0.22 percent, as you mentioned, versus 0.1 percent. It's nothing huge. If we had millions of dollars, I'd be telling you different things. But for somebody who has ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to invest, what a way to this is a great way to start. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, that's that's fair. I mean, when. Uh what you're right like these the benefits of having it broken up into individual etfs like what i do i mean you really see the benefits of that from the tax efficiency perspective the management fees when your portfolio is you know on the higher side right um if you're just getting started um and you have you know 10 like if if you're in the tens of thousands of dollars let's say then yeah like you, you know you bring up a good point it's not because a lot of these benefits, it's worth mentioning, right? When we talk about these types of investments and options, a lot of them are based on a, are they're on a percentage basis, right? And Correct. so the higher, the larger your portfolio is, the more you're going to benefit, right? Like one percent on a hundred dollars is 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 just a dollar, right? Uh, versus right. on a hundred thousand dollars or on one million dollars is all of a sudden a significant amount. So exactly, um, yeah. So you bring up a good point that somebody just getting started too, yeah, they don't have a massive portfolio yet because they're just getting started. And so it's not like they're massively missing out on, you know, like they're ridiculously tax inefficient and all that. Like right. that that's not really right. the, the case because, you know, it, yeah. And, and I mean, hopefully, and I guess there's an argument to be said too, that by trying to get into the advanced thing right away, maybe that will scare off some people and now they're not investing at all or they put it on the back burner. They say, okay, I'll get to this later. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas, so and 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 then they never get to it, or they don't get to it until five years from now. Whereas, if they did the other solution, which is easier, maybe not as optimal from a tax efficiency perspective, but easier, they would have been invested those whole five years, and they would have been way further ahead, right? So, very good point. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. So, 
John, you mentioned the, the the piece about the interest rates. How yeah, how how I mean, in some cases, right? The like you know, with how low the interest rates have been versus what you know how how high dividends can be with certain companies. So I mean, how what's your thought process there in terms of I mean, where where do you keep when you talk to your clients? Where do you tell them to keep their bonds? Well, look. Um, the, it, again, it'll depend on what the goals are of a client, right? If a if a client has a goal that the, 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 they're saving money to to buy a home two years from now or three years from now, typically I'll tell them you need safer investments because anything can happen in the markets over one or two years. So needless by by need, they'd have to keep conservative investments outside their RSPs, yes. um, and so and so. Um, that's how I would advise on that side. But it, it definitely – you know something, Cornell? I don't have a written rule right now that says fixed income should be here and, and, and growth stocks and stuff like that should be there. If you have – if you're buying growth stocks that don't pay dividends – uh, so you're not buying the big companies and, and you're looking for capital gains, then you keep that outside of your RSP. But if you're someone typical that, you know, wants something relatively safe and, you know, that has a you know a good track record and they're very well-known companies like Bell or banks or stuff like that, um, well, they're paying 4% on a return right now. So I'm questioning whether I should keep that you know, type of investment outside, especially if I don't need the income. I'm questioning if I should keep that inside my RSP or outside my RSP. I don't have any clear cut. There, there's no clear cut um, solution or clear cut reason that says do it one way or do it another. I, I will look at the individual needs of the client, and when you know that's it sounds like an easy an easy way an easy way out, but. We need to look at the individual needs, the individual income needs of a, of a client. You know, their their, ta- you know, what their tax situation is all about as well. So you can't just say buy this dividend-paying stock outside your RSP because you're going to save on taxes. Well, what if what if a client is already in a low t- a low tax bracket? I have a client, for example, right now who who makes a lot of money. Uh, this year, they're not making any money because they decided to live off the money that they had saved outside their RRSP. There was a, you know, they 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 received a windfall uh, um, of an income, something like an inheritance or so. And I suggested to them not even take a. It's a business owner, and we said don't even take a salary this year. So in this case, I mean, I'm telling them take money out of your RSP this year. Right. So this is the, so the point I'm trying to make is that every situation is so different that it you really need a specific solution these days and not have as we mentioned earlier these rules of thumbs of do this if this is happening or do that if that is happening it really comes down to individual situations individual income you know tax brackets and where they are at and so on and so forth those are the things that and and this is where Cornell and you you've gone through the experience this is where financial planning comes into play. We, we've talked about these three situations or these three choices. We have one more to talk about. I got to remind you because <laughs> we're going into an hour, but we have one more choice that people can do uh, how they invest their money. But it boils down to this. You need to, before choosing a Vanguard or an ETF or a mutual fund or a broker or 500 shares of Bell, you need to do a financial plan that will explain you what the choices are, why we 
see these choices, what the pros and cons are before you make any kind of investment decision. I just wanted to back up and and put that point out in front because really we can't say take this solution if we don't have you know if we don't have a financial plan guiding us as to what needs to be done. For sure. So yeah. let's just be we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's just make sure that people understand that we shouldn't be making investment decisions based on the returns of something or based on that it's cheap or anything like that. We really need to do a financial planning process first, which will guide us as to what solutions are best. For sure. And, and I mean, the, the way that I look at this this podcast, right, is when we say these sort of general statements, it's a starting point to get you thinking about it. And then the next step is to see, okay, how, that, how does this apply to my situation now based on all the things that could could impact whether I should do X or whether I should do Y? Right. Yeah. Makes yeah. absolutely, absolutely, and, mm-hmm. and 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 again, I say this: you've gone, you've gone through this, and um, when we did your financial plan, and um, if, if there are any people that have that I've spoken to in the past that are listening to the show right now, this is pretty much uh, what I've always said, and and it's 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 something that's not followed as much as it should be, and and I'll blame the industry when it comes to that because the industry is is sort of biased towards sell products so we could make money because that's how most people get paid and so sometimes the financial planning aspect is left behind and and you know we sell we sell products based on return and based on you know what what's the hottest thing right now so that's just not that's just it's not going to work and if you're really serious about your money that's not the way to go mm-hmm. gotcha I'll mention one thing too because we were talking about the just to go back about the whole bonds and, and where they should go that kind of piece. Uh, I'll tell you what I do and just to get your thoughts on it to see if or, or I'll tell you what my logic was at least because uh, it'll be interesting to hear if you agree, disagree, or if you would tweak that in any sort of way. So I mean, typically the way I've I've thought about it you know, when it comes to the bonds is I would say yes, I would keep them in my RRSP because one, I wouldn't want to keep them in my TFSA because typically I want the the, I want the assets that are going to grow the most in my TFSA because sure. if something's in your TFSA, it's fully tax exempt. And Correct. so obviously if you know if something's gonna grow up a lot, I want that to be tax exempt, not the thing that's gonna go up a little bit, which which you know historically obviously equities have outperformed bonds. Um, so so that's why I would not I haven't ever put bonds into in a TFSA. Um, and then in terms of non, you know, and if it is, okay, do I do it, put them in a non-registered account versus RRSP? You know, then I'll, once again, I'll say I, I've always had the preference of I would rather put the bonds in an RRSP because if I do have everything maxed out in my RRSP and TFSA and I have to start putting money into the non-registered account, I would rather have my Canadian equities in there because they do have more preferential tax treatment. Um you know, from that perspective, because of the tax credit, right? Um, right. And, and I can control if I want to sell them off or not. So whether I want to incur the capital gains or not, right? And get taxed on those. Right. So it kind of gives me a lot of control. Whereas with if I hold a bond in there, well, that's just going to be spitting off uh, interest, basically, right? And that's going to get tacked onto my income, and I don't really have much control over that, right? So, um, so that was my logic for okay, I, I like having them in the RRSP instead because I have a lot more control um, that way. You, you know what I mean? Right. No, that, that makes sense, and it, it it comes back to the point that I made, where if you're buying growth stocks, then you keep them outside of your RSP. That's where, um, where the decision becomes a little bit more difficult. Is if you know you have ten thousand um, dollars that you want to buy either a GIC or or you want to put into your RSP or outside your RSP, and you know your choices become is. Um, 
is uh, basically um, you know the income that's being made. I want to earn an income, for example, and I want something safe. So it's either going to be a bond or it's going to be a, a, a dividend-paying stock. Well, if the dividend-paying stock is bought outside your RSP and it's going to increase your income and you're already at the highest tax bracket, then I'd think a little bit about you know making that decision. But if you're if you're um, if you're um, basically investing with growth over the long term, then I would obviously keep the money or keep the investment outside my RSP. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, just comes, it just comes to the point where there could be there could be investments that will increase your income more than others, and and uh, so so you're going to be taxed more. And about the dividend, about the uh, um, preferential tax treatment on dividend income, yes, but when we're earning four percent. Uh, on a dividend-paying stock, and GICs were only paying 1% just a couple of years ago or a year ago. Maybe they're, they're a little higher right now. Um, there were situations where I told people, hey, your income is going to go up if you buy, you know, if you keep the dividend-paying stock outside your RSP and keep your, you know, bonds or GICs. Right, understood. So that's where that's where the decision becomes a little bit more delicate, let's say. But okay. again, you're looking at growth stocks that are not paying or they're paying very little dividends, then definitely keep them, as you mentioned, best in your TFSA. Right, right. And what's your logic for keeping high growth, low dividend stocks outside the RRSP? What's your reasoning for that one? Uh, sorry, you said high growth, low paying dividend stocks. Yeah, so so yeah, stocks. So let, let, like uh, like the U.S. index, for example, right, where yes. the dividends aren't very high relative yes. to Canada, for example, uh, right. but they have historically grow have had much higher growth. So more capital gains, less dividends. So you mentioned those ones, stocks of that nature, or stocks that are just pure growth and don't issue any dividends. If you're buying individual stocks, um, you know, you, you said to, you would, as a kind of generally speaking, you like to keep those outside the RSP are you saying because you'd rather put them in the TFSA instead or, or what's your reasoning there growth stocks again going into a TFSA for the same reason that you mentioned that th- there's a preferential tax treatment when you're when you have money in a TFSA so you can sell without having any capital gains right right so hands down uh, growth stocks in my TFSA Gotcha. Okay. It's simply, again, there's zero tax consequences. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. I just want to make sure I uh, I understood what you were saying there because uh, the audio cut off a little bit, so I wasn't okay, okay. sure. But okay. No, that, that makes uh, that makes total sense. Um, all right, so yeah, we're at over an hour now. Let's yeah. get to the last point. Maybe I'll, I'll stop trying to. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop no, with the back and forth. Don't don't stop. I think people are getting value out of our I think discussion. It's, I think it's a really good conversation. I, I don't know. I, I I'm <laughs> I'm biased because I'm in it, but <laughs> but I, I do think the things that we're kind of sidetracking to are still very important and relevant things around this that people should know uh, no matter what. And you know what? Just as a quick thing too, we mentioned those Vanguard ETFs. Um, I'll, I'll give people the tickers in case they want to research them as well because uh, I have a feeling I'm going to get questions about that. So um, VGRO is one of them, VGRO, VCNS is the other one, and VBAL is the third one. So those are the... So I told you before how to get there on the Vanguard site. Um, but the, those are the tickers I just gave you are if you want to kind of research it more. And like I said, I'm not saying buy these. I'm not a, you know, I'm not trying to sell investments here. I'm not, a, you know, your financial advisor or plan or anything like that. These are just things that, like I said, John and I thought are probably worth considering, uh, especially if you're just getting started or have a smaller portfolio as they're, they're an easy entry point and the fees are really, really low. Would that be yeah. fair to say, John? Absolutely. Okay. And, and I'll say this though. Um, if, if you are a beginner, and you're listening to this podcast and we're telling you that this is a pretty good solution, 
I would say don't buy it until you understand it. Because if you're saying to yourself right now, man, I don't know what they're talking about, but it sounds good. And I'm not sure what they mean. That's very scary because the markets will go down. And when they go down, you're going to be asking all sorts of questions. Um, so make sure you understand listen to the podcast several times make sure you understand what it is that you're buying or you know we're giving you these four choices right now make sure that you understand what each of the choices uh, are all about we may have used some uh, we try to keep it simple cornell but we may have used some jargon that people are saying huh? you know like what, what what's this all about especially people that are not you know this isn't their it's easy for us to talk about this but some people this is this is a different language right so make sure you understand anything before you get into and um, I think that's a good a good way to lead into the fourth choice that people have. Um, and I'll very quickly I'll recap. Choice number one was having a financial planner, an advisor uh, that's that's using managed products like mutual funds to to invest your money. Having an advisor who only uses individual stocks and bonds. The third one was being being a do-it-yourselfer and you're you're out there doing uh, you know buying everything and we recommend exchange traded funds uh, when it comes to that choice the fourth choice is to use the exchange traded funds which are the cheapest uh, way of, of getting your money into investments but having an advisor guide you on that and that's a choice that wasn't available just a few years ago again because typically um, the when you're using an advisor and the pros about using an advisor go back to what I mentioned a little earlier and and basically it's to keep people real and to keep people help people from doing irrational things that's one reason asset you know choosing a right asset allocation based on your goals is another reason why it's important to have a, a financial advisor if you're not able to do these things on yourself by yourself but if you can find a financial advisor who is not using managed money and are using ETFs basically to to invest your money, well, that's a pretty good solution if you feel like you can't do it on your own. Um, but as I mentioned, you know the pros of that is you are getting advice and you're paying a lot less than what you would pay if you're dealing with a typical investment advisor that's using you know mutual funds. Uh, now the con about that is that they're very hard to find. There's not, uh, but but it is it is an area that's growing, but let's face it, 95% of financial planners, investment advisors uh, are working either for banks or affiliated companies of banks or independent firms that, that, that you know, make their money selling mutual funds and stuff like that. There's not too many in the area of I'm a financial planner, I'm doing unbiased uh, financial planning for clients that has nothing to do with products. And then that financial planner is able to guide you with ETFs as well. That's the fourth solution uh, that's available out there. And 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 uh, you know I've said it I've said it before. This is what I use with my clients. I I rarely look at any other solutions. And 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 people that have heard me on your show, they've when we've spoken, I've spoken to some of your 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 listeners, and they already come in with the idea saying, yeah, we know that you do ETFs, so tell me what you can do for me. So that's. Uh, that's that's pretty much the model that I like to have, and um, it's not accessible. I mean, I shouldn't say it's not accessible. It's hard to find someone like that. But there are a few uh, advisors out there in Canada that are doing that, and um, you can find it if you if you dig a little bit, you can find them. That's for sure. 
but it's not it's not very typical right now, and and that's not going to be the everyday experience you're going to have if you're if you're dealing with if you're dealing with a typical financial advisor. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, typically, I th- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you know, you're the one that you, you used to work in that banking industry, right? I, and my understanding right. is the typical, the most common way is that someone you know you go to your bank and you say, hey, I have my I I would like to start investing in my RSP or or ESP or TFSA, whatever the case may be, and then you're presented a menu of options. You, you get a very quick. I, I won't call it a financial plan. It, it, they may call it a financial plan, but it's it kind of. You know, it's like a quick little questionnaire type of scenario, right? And then yeah. it's all about it's all about um, getting you investing as soon as possible and buying investment products. Um, it's not a comprehensive financial plan that you know talks about everything and looks at your tax situation and goes for tax efficiency and you know all of that, right? And and, and factors all of that in. So so I think yeah, you're you're kind of part of the new. Uh, Sort of this this new era, right? Where it's 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 okay. Let's take things a bit deeper because investments are only a small portion of the whole picture, actually. Right, an an important portion, obviously, but but also small. But it's the it's the one area where people get very emotional about because they don't want to see their money going down, right? Right. But uh, but typically, as you mentioned, I'll say it like this: If you're a beginner and you walk into a bank, you're not going to see a financial planner. They don't want to. They don't want to see you. Because you don't have money, Let, let's face it. If you don't have a couple of hundred thousand dollars and you walk into a bank, you're not gonna you're not gonna meet a financial planner. They're not gonna introduce you to a financial planner. They're gonna introduce you to a to a banker who, as you mentioned, has like a a, a preset questionnaire that they'll ask you know seven or eight questions and then they'll fit you into a portfolio of mutual funds. If you do have a couple of hundred thousand dollars, they'll introduce you to a financial planner who gets paid based on the products that they sell. Um, so again, uh, being in the industry for such a long time, and it's been, it's been uh, close to four years now that I've been on my own, but being in the industry since the mid nineties, um, up until 2014 or so, uh, this is, this is how the model works. And I, I, again, not to say that all, you know, advisors, all they do is look, look out for what's in their, what will end up in their pocket, but there is an inherent conflict of interest when you're being advised by someone who gets paid based on the product that they sell. Bankers have objectives to sell GICs and they have objectives to sell mutual funds. If they're at 140% of their objectives in GICs and they're at 60% at the you know on the on the mutual fund side, the manager is breathing down their neck every day. Saying, what about the mutual funds? When are you going to increase your sales? So there, there are. So I'm not even blaming the individual advisors. This is just how the system works. The banking system works. It's profits first, and I hate to say it. I mean, it sounds so negative, but that's what it is. It is what it is, and and we have to be very careful as to how we are, you know, who we are letting. Our money being managed by who's managing our money? We need to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that enough, only because I've seen you know I've have seen it all over over twenty five years. And so um, I, I I had you know I was losing sleep at a point when um, I was in in the industry, and so and that's one of the main reasons why I left. Because anyhow, um, again I'm sort of getting off on a tangent here, but uh, these are. I can't stress enough about how cautious you have to be when yeah. it comes to 
So, so were you were you losing sleep because your your job is at that back when you did work at a the kind of traditional bank because your job was to push these products and push the products that you're being told to push. Whereas you might know that okay, I know this client, I know their situation. I should really be suggesting this. We should not be gouging them on fees like this. But but you have no control over that because you're just an employee that's part of the yeah. larger machine and there's own in your your hands are tied in a lot of ways and so right. that's why you went on your own eventually is that would that be fair is that accurate well yeah I, to a degree yeah. I, I was i was forced to push funds early or to push investments early in my career when i was a stockbroker and i was told that i have to sell you know a, a, a new issue a new company going public and our firm was taking it public and i had to sell these shares to my clients and i wasn't very comfortable about that but when i went into the banking industry in the mid 90s um, back then, you were able to give advice based on what the client needs. There wasn't too many sales objectives, but you still had to sell the products of the firm of the bank that you that you were working with. But what I what I did, I, I've been an ETF guy before the term existed. I used to recommend something called index funds, which are still out there. Uh, back in the '90s, when again nobody knew about them, but banks had started. In, I'd started to make them available to their clients, and I was selling clients index funds for their needs Mm -hmm. until I was told by the first bank that I was working at, until I was told, you can't do that anymore. Sell the ones, sell the managed funds and let the do-it-yourselfers buy the index funds. And I said, that's not happening, and I left, and I went to another bank. Mm -hmm. And they let me do that for – the other bank let me do that for five or six years. And then I got the same, you know, speech after, and so I, I I left from there, and I went to the private banking division of of, of one of the banks, and uh, and uh, well, we weren't selling mutual funds there, so I was pretty I was pretty comfortable, and and that's where I really learned about true financial planning, uh, other than just investments, you know, tax planning, estate planning, mortgage planning, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that are associated with with real financial planning, and at that point, well, a few years. I said, hey, I can do this. I can do this. I can offer the same professional services that a private bank offers, but at half the cost. So that's what really got me excited. And I went out on my own and 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 the rest is history. But no, I can't say there was only one time in my career where I felt pushed to sell investments. And that was, that's when I was a stockbroker in the mid 90s. And I had to sell individual stocks that were very um, they were they were very risky stocks to my client base, which was quite conservative. So that's why I left in the mid nineties and I went to the banking side. So there I was left to do what I wanted to, for until they told me not to, and then I got up and I left. And, yeah. and, and there you go. Yeah, well, because I guess what you were suggesting wasn't making them enough money, right? So they didn't like that. They, that exactly. They were, you know, index funds were charging, I, I think, zero point nine percent back then, mm-hmm. versus the traditional funds, which were two and a half percent. So, so, so you chose the client's interest over the company's interest, basically. That's, that's, that's right. Until, and that until didn't sell well with them, yeah. Until they caught on. It took them a while, but they caught on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nobody was really monitoring that. All they wanted to see is how much mutual fund sales people were making. And index funds were considered mutual funds. So they right. all went under the same line. But then they got a little bit more specific and they were looking at the fine lines and they were saying, hmm, this guy's not producing as much income for us as the other guys are. So, right, right. So when you talked about index funds, are you referring – back then, are you talking about things like TDE series, Tangerine, those kinds of uh, – That's right. It's, it's technically a mutual fund, but it's like a passive. Mutual yeah. fund that holds the index. 
Yeah, and all banks offer them. Bank of CIBC, I believe, was the first one that offered them in the '90s. Maybe I shouldn't be naming names, but no, <laughs> CIBC was offering them. And then, and then I went to Bank of Montreal, uh, and they were offering them as well. So, and and again, back then you were able to give advice or sell products based on the client's needs. You had to sell the bank's products, but at least it wasn't, you know, I wasn't meeting Mrs. Smith, 75 years old, and I was forced to sell mutual funds to her because my, you know, numbers are not as, as high as they should be. Right. So that was, and, and, and I can tell you one thing you'll notice if you, if you deal, if you're dealing at a bank or if you're dealing with a broker or an advisor at a bank, it's a revolving door and you're going to get someone new almost on an annual basis because they come in, they get chewed up, and they get spat out. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's and, and clients would always would always say at banks, "How long are you going to be here for? You know, you, you want to manage my money, and you know, chances are two years from now you're not going to be here anymore." Right. And that's what people are faced with when they're dealing with bankers, and that's what people are starting to realize, and that's why my corner of the industry right now is growing quite rapidly. Um, people realize that you know. The investors' needs are not being met a hundred percent, and and so that's um, that's one reason why we're starting to see more players leaving the institutions and and pretty much doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. All right, John, I think that's a great place to end it. Now, for anybody not familiar with you or or wants to know a bit more about you, can you tell us a little bit more about you know yourself, your practice, what you do? I'm a certified financial planner, and and I have been since the late 90s. And in the past, I've worked for the, let's say, the big boxes, the big banks, and their affiliates. And then about four years later, four years ago, I went out on my own as a as an independent financial planner. And so the services that I offer is typically I help people with financial planning, meaning we create a financial plan, and then we're able to implement the plan as well for our clients. I think the best way to describe it is is to give you an idea of what callers, what some of your listeners went through when they when they reached out to me. So basically, you know, we offer a consultation, a free half hour consultation uh, for your listeners. And typically, what 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 happens in the calls is, you know, they sort of tell me, well, here's a here's a situation that I'm in, and and here's the reason why I called. And I basically explained to them what financial planning is all about and, and what are the aspects that should be looked at. And then, you know, if people want to go in a little bit deeper, then I, I ask them to, to fill out a certain questionnaire that I offer. And, and then we take it from there. But uh, I think I've been told and that people have gotten some very good value just from a half hour conversation that we have. And it's, 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 I've been very impressed with how many people have actually, uh, have actually called up or, or sent me an email and they're, they're able to do that from your site, if I'm not mistaken. And so that's it. I think it, it's a good way to start is to, is to have a little conversation about what's, 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 you know, eating you, what's on your mind about your, your affairs. And, uh, and it just, it seems like people have gotten a lot of value out of that. So I'm very happy about that. For sure. Yeah, we've had a lot of people sign up. And yeah, if you are interested in speaking with John, go to Build Wealth Canada ca slash john it's, it's totally free there's no obligation or you know anything like that it's just a free kind of 30 minute consultation and i'm sure you know you'll get some questions answered and you'll also see if maybe you want to work further with john or not but either way um you know i'm sure you're going to get lots of value out of it and you know and at the very least get some questions answered uh, for free so it's just buildwealthcanada.ca slash john and yeah at the very least you'll you'll learn a ton so um, yeah, have uh, enjoy that, and thanks. Uh, thank you very much, uh, John, for offering that to Build Wealth Canada listeners. I know your your time's very valuable. You're a very experienced financial planner, so it's it's great that you offer that service.
You bet, Cornell. It's my pleasure. Okay, so have a great one, and we'll see you on a future episode. We'll definitely have you back. You bet. All right, take care. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right, thanks for tuning in. If you do have some questions for John, or if you'd like to discuss potentially having him take a look at your financial situation too, just like he did with my family, then you can sign up for a free consultation with him by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. It's totally free and there's no obligation or anything like that. And I mean, worst case scenario, you'll get a bunch of your investing and financial planning questions answered, specifically customized for your particular situation. Also, don't forget to get that free one-year subscription to Canadian Money Saver Magazine and double that interest rate that you're currently getting in your checking and savings account by signing up for free to my favorite bank that I've been using for years over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. That's just the letter E and the letter Q. Once you do that, forward me any email that EQ sends you over to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll send you the coupon code that gets you a one-year free subscription to Canadian Money Saver Magazine. So that link again is build wealthcanada.ca slash EQ, open an account and send me any sort of confirmation email you get from them to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll send you that coupon code to get the free magazine subscription. All right, you'll also get that extra perk of five free Interact e-transfers every month and you'll know that you're getting one of, if not the highest interest rate in Canada on your savings account. All right, so that's all for now. Have a wonderful and safe winter season and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.